Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys, and welcome to You Need Therapy Podcast. My name is Kat, and I am the host here. Quick reminder up top that although this is a podcast about mental health, and although I am a licensed therapist, this podcast does not serve as a replacement or a substitute for actual mental health services. However, we do hope that these conversations help you on whatever journey you are on in some way. Now for the good stuff. I am so excited about our guest today. His name is J.P. Sachs, and if you are not familiar with him, then I can't wait for you to get familiar with him because he's awesome in multiple different ways. I am a big fan of his music, and that actually led me to wanting him to come be a guest on the show because of some of the things he sings and writes about. I'm like, mm, this guy has some things to say, and I have some questions, and I want to learn more. And I just assumed he would have a cool perspective, which I was right. And I'm just so super grateful that he accepted and was willing to come and chat with a random person he doesn't know that lives across the country. So you could Google JP and you can see his accomplishments. You can see that he is a Grammy nominated singer songwriter. He is very successful in what he does, but what you can't Google as easily, you know, you might read this in some interviews or something like that, but what you can't Google as easily is the essence of who he is and the kind of human he is. And he is a pretty cool human. And you will see that and hear that and feel that as you listen to this conversation. I was unsure on how the conversation would go because, you know, I never met him before. I didn't know what kind of mood he would be in. I didn't know if he really wanted to have this conversation. You know, you never know. And I was so pleasantly surprised by how he showed up and what he showed up with. 
we talk about relationships, we talk about feelings, we talked about masculinity, we talked about the difference between leaving and being left and the different ways we try to get over heartbreak. And he just had some really cool perspectives. He says some things that you are going to want to write down and you're going to want to journal about and you're going to want to marinate over them because he offers, like I said, a really cool perspective that you don't hear as much in multiple different areas of life that I believe I think is going to be really like priceless and special for a lot of you guys. So the other thing is because I am who I am, this conversation went over about 40 minutes and um, I'm not mad about that because it was fruitful. And because of that, instead of chiseling it down and cutting things out, I decided let's just keep it all and split it into two parts. So this week you will hear part one and then I'm going to keep you on your toes because I'm going to keep you excited for next week's episode. And then next Monday, we'll put part two out. Also want to let you guys know that JP is releasing a new song. So he just released a new song called When You Think of Me. And we talk about that song and the meaning behind it in this conversation. And guys, this song is so good. So like, go download it right now. But he's releasing another new song on November 11th called The Good Parts. And it should be available to pre-save by the time you're listening to this, which is really exciting. So go follow him on Instagram at JP Stacks. I'll put a link in the bio for you guys. And if you guys have not heard his music before, you're welcome because this is going to be your new obsession. And if you have heard of him before or you are a fan, get excited because there's some new music continuing to come. Now. I'm not going to keep you waiting any longer. Well, I kind of am because I'm cutting this conversation to two parts. But for this part of the conversation, I'm not going to keep you any longer. So here is my conversation with JP Sachs. Do you enjoy conversations with strangers? Yes. You do? Okay. Would you say you're introverted or extroverted? So I thought I was an introvert for a really long time. And it's potential. It's possible that I was, but I'm definitely not now. Okay. I think I'm pretty like pretty far on the extrovert spectrum of things. Do you, are you familiar with Enneagram? Yes. What are, what Is number that the are ones you? with the numbers or the letters? Yes. Numbers. The numbers. The numbers, I'm a, I'm a two. Okay. Which one's two? Uh, the helper. Yeah, that okay. was me. Okay. I'm a seven. So most people think that, because seven's the enthusiast, most people think uh-huh. that I'm an extrovert because I, I do tend to have a lot of energy and I can like talk to a wall but I actually am really introverted. And like, if mm. I got to choose, like I said, on any given night, I would like to be in bed. I like being social, but it, there's a certain type of work that comes with it. So it's just very interesting. Okay, I wanna get into some things and mm-hmm. we'll just see where it goes. I don't know what they tell you when you agree to do these things, but I am a therapist. I live in Nashville. Cool. Yeah. So I started- I was about to make a joke about how I only hear about the Enneagrams when I go to Nashville. Well, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. It's like the hub. And I love the Enneagram. I think it's a great tool, but in Nashville, sometimes you're like, oh, okay, I'm done with this conversation. And I don't know how many interviews and podcasts you really like do in general, but I don't also know how many you do that are- mental health focused. So Mm -hmm. I want to talk about your music because I know who you are because I love your music. Um, And that's one of the reasons I went to your, is it like a single release show? The one that you did in Nashville? You came to my single release show? I was there. Yeah. I was at that show. That's fun. Yeah. And I got the idea to ask you to be on the podcast because you sang, uh, well, one, all of your music is 
there's little like weaves of just like little things. I'm like, he went to therapy. He has a therapist. He learned that there. He likes mental health. But I think it was when you sang Explain You and, uh-huh. you know, the opening lines, which I've... I talk shit about that therapist, but a common misunderstanding in that song yeah. is the therapist mentioned in Explain You is not the therapist I landed on. That's interesting. In that song, is that like a, you don't like that therapist? Well, so about four years ago, I decided that I, I wanted to have a go-to therapist. Yeah. I had gone on and off throughout my life, but only in like times of dire need. I had never like had a consistent person who I had a established rapport with. So I guess this is 2018. I decided I was, I was going to find my go-to therapist. And I went to seven before I found one that I really liked. Okay, you have got to talk about that process because that is something I think comes up a lot where people think I go to a first therapist and I have to stick with them or this therapist sucks. I'm done with therapy. Right. I was adamant that I was going to have a therapist in my life that knew me, that I respected and that I was actually going to listen to and walk away with things that were improving, you know, my process of analyzing my life. So that was an interesting couple months because I was like twice a week going to different therapists trying to find the right one. And the therapist that I mentioned in Explain You, the first line of that song for, for your listeners who yeah. have not heard it is, my therapist called you a learning experience. We're an 80 an hour. That's all that he mentions. Missing you is getting fucking expensive. Because um, I dropped a lot of money on therapy that month. Yeah. Uh, I think... Well, I 180 think is a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, pretty standard out here yeah. in Los I'm, Angeles. I'm, yeah. I assume it's a little bit higher than it is here. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. The, I think that was therapist number four who I had I had given him this whole story about what I was trying to figure out about myself and, you know, understanding myself separate from someone who I had really rooted my identity in being beside. And he just goes, well, it sounds like, it sounds like she was a learning experience. And then just kind of looks at me. And I thought that, that can't be, that can't be how this is supposed to go. And I thought it was really funny. So I did not see that therapist again, but that's who I'm talking about in that song. I'm so glad I have that, like that knowledge now, because I now hear that song differently because I can see how somebody might say that if but if that's the only feedback you're getting from a therapist you're like well okay what is the learning experience I need more what part of you then was like I have to keep doing this work to find this person and how did you know when you found the right person so I think obviously a great therapist can meet someone one time yeah and completely unravel everything about their life and choices. And it's amazing when that happens. I love listening to Esther Perel's podcast because I like hearing her do that. But I also just think if I need to spend the first 30 minutes of a session explaining the foundations at which I've arrived at this complicated, traumatic moment, I'm not getting nearly as much depth on how to navigate it as if I've had, you know, 50 sessions under my belt with my current therapist. So when I walk in, we just, you know, we, we can skip the, the therapy small talk. And she also just has such a better memory than I do. Like my memory is just shit, just like really bad. I think it's, it's, it's somewhat indicative of a lot of the things about my life, like that are like are predicated on me having such a bad memory that I do things in order to try and create, like try and create memory or try and you know, establish some sort of like, just some sort of immortalized version of things in order to feel like they've actually happened. That's why I journal so obsessively. But anyway, she'll say like, well, 
you know, last year in this session, you were talking about blah, 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 blah. And that feels like it probably relates to you right now talking to blah, 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 blah. And uh, those are always like big win moments for for my therapist. I think I'm always deeply yeah. impressed. Well, it, I think it sends the message that I am a therapist who also goes to therapy. And so when my own therapist can like pull some recall out to me, I'm like, you listen to me. And for a lot of people going to therapy, that's like sometimes all they need, somebody that actually is paying attention to them and their story. So I can see how that, like, it, it's a win for the therapist because they're like, yeah, I, okay, I was able to put that together. And then it's a win for the client because they're like, oh my gosh, I'm not just like another one of your people on your schedule. Like, you're paying attention to my story. Yeah. I actually have a question for you about this. Yeah. So, you know, because my music, you know, deals with, the emotional elements of being a human. I do get asked questions often that I feel entirely unqualified for. Like what? Um, just questions that you would ask a therapist, like people, whether it be about, cause I, you know, I write about, I write about love, I write about heartbreak, I write about grief, I write about, you know, things that people often talk to their therapists about. And I used to, I used to be like a little bit glib about it. You know, I would, I would show support, but I was like, I don't know, I feel like, I would say like, I feel really unqualified for to answer that question or you know people would be like your music is like therapy and I'm like that means the world to me but also like therapy is better <laughs> um like real therapy is better you should try that but then I, I rec- started to recognize that it was it was somewhat inconsiderate of me to be suggesting a $200 a week model of of help when you know music is for the most part free and I was I was neglecting to incorporate that into my thinking on it and and it trips me up now because obviously like I want to be a proponent of therapy I think it's been such a huge part of my life but it's pretty inaccessible to most people how do you how do you navigate trying to point people towards resources and things that can be a helpful part of their mental health routines without you know running into the problem of a lot of the things that are so helpful do require you know a certain yeah So that's a really actually a good question because you're talking about like, how do I not like overstep and start speaking out of my lane, but Mm -hmm. how do I not offer nothing? And then how do I not offer something that somebody doesn't have access to? Right, exactly. So that's one of the reasons I started this podcast because I am a therapist that works private practice. I, I don't take insurance. Like I have a sliding scale for a certain number of clients. And at the same time, I'm like, well, okay, this leaves a lot of people out. And I have these conversations all day, all the time, whether they're in my head or with a client about things like attachment with like three, four years ago, nobody knew what attachment theory was besides therapists. Now it's more, some people still don't know what it is, but it's coming more mainstream. But people weren't having conversations about what actually is the difference between like being sad and actually being clinically depressed. How do I know when I, how do I find access to a a psychiatrist that might be able to help me and and find things that are going to help me maybe feel like a normal person? Um, What is normal? So that's one of the reasons I started this because a lot of the conversations I have are like, building blocks for what you might actually do with the therapist later. There's a lot of information, just conversations that generally aren't happening. But I say this all the time. I work mostly with eating disorders and body image. I see all kinds of stuff, but I get a lot of people that are coming for a very specific reason. 
I have an eating disorder. I just, I'm going through a breakup. I moved to a new city and I, I feel whatever. I, I feel like I'm having a midlife crisis, all things. When it comes down to it, I truly believe what we're really searching for is a cure to some kind of loneliness somewhere, right? And the vice that might be the eating disorder or the feeling of like deep sorrow might be that lack of connection that we're literally born like we are born connected to our moms, so we're born needing connection of some sort. So when it comes down to it, we're all looking for a way to like feel connected to somebody to cure this loneliness. We're in this loneliness epidemic, like not even talking about what COVID and all that did to us. So I say all of that because while therapy is very helpful, I would never send the message that somebody shouldn't go to therapy. It's not always the answer right? It, it can always be helpful, but it might not always be necessary. It can help anybody. But also, if we're looking for uh, a cure to loneliness, that is connection. And so what we can offer people are resources that help people connect to each other. What we can offer are ways that we can feel less alone. I used to have so many men How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. 
Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of even your music, something that it does, and something that I've felt through a lot of music is when you hear a song, like if I hear a song about specifically heartbreak, right? When I hear somebody who had singing a song that they wrote about heartbreak, what that tells me is that, wait a second, the only way that this person knows how to write this is because it was in their head and the only reason it was in their head because somehow they experienced it, whether they saw it or they lived it. And so that means that that person has been through something that I've been through, I'm not the only one. And if that person is surviving or thriving, whatever, that's giving me some kind of hope and I'm feeling connected to another human, even if I'm not like breathing the same air as you. Uh So that's my long winded way to answer that question is we want to offer tangible things, but often offering an experience of understanding is like the biggest thing. Yeah. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. When people do come to talk to you about relationships, which I'm sure happens often because we spend most of our time, at least the people around me spend a lot of their time thinking about, you know, their relationships. How often are people coming to you to help navigate the emotions of, of being left versus the emotions of coming to terms with leaving? This is so interesting because I just recorded a conversation about the difference between um, leaving and abandonment because they're very different things, being abandoned mm. and being left. But when you're asking me how What's often... What's the difference? Well, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. If you want to listen to the whole episode, it came out on Monday, October 24th, and it is called The Difference Between Abuse, Abandonment, and Other Things with Tara Booker. But here's kind of a Cliff Notes version for you now. So when I'm being, when I'm abandoned, that means that like a child is abandoned. If you're abandoned, you're left and you're not able to survive, right? So people can leave me, but I'm still able to like actually meet my needs so you can abandon a baby you can abandon a child you can abandon somebody who actually doesn't have resources or an ability to access resources think about any kind of population that is just like disabled in any way whether that's financially intellectually like any kind you can abandon those people but if I'm a functioning adult right so if my boyfriend leaves me if he breaks up with me if you're listening Please don't. But if he does that, (laughs) he is choosing to walk away and leave a relationship. And that sucks. And that I'm going to feel like an immense amount of pain, like an excruciating amount of pain. But I'm an adult. And that need that he might be fulfilling in me, I have the ability to access that somewhere else. It might not feel like that at the time, right? Because talk about like your head not being clear in the midst of heartbreak your head is not clear so I might not be able to actually rationalize that and it might feel like he abandoned me it might feel like I can't access my needs or I'm left without a paddle but he's leaving me because adults are left and I want to hear your thoughts on this I think that's really hard to come to terms with because 
when I'm abandoned, I'm a victim, right? When I'm left, I'm, I'm, I just was, he left me. So when I'm abandoned, I'm telling myself I don't have the ability to meet my needs. So then I don't have to do the things that get me to that next place. And those things are really hard. Like healing heartbreak is one of the hardest things people will do. That was a long cliff notes. No, no. I, I mean, that's fascinating. I mean, I, I've been on both sides of it at the end of relationships. Yeah. Like I've been in, I would say three serious relationships in my life. You know, the first one was 17 to 19. So I don't identify quite as much with that version of myself as relationship two and three. But relationship two and three, like, ended, you know, one of them ended where I was left and one of them I left. And, you know, that Joni Mitchell's on both sides now. Just, like, the the ambivalence of that song, I, I found myself thinking about a lot. Anyways, I understood things about being left that I didn't understand until I was the one who left. Like what? Like that you could still love somebody and also think it was the right decision to leave a relationship. Like when, you know, when I was 24 and that relationship ended and she told me, she was like, I, I love you and I will always love you, but I don't think the lives that we're moving into are, are ones that we're meant to be together in. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what she said because I was you know, fucking devastated, so I don't remember the exact words, but something along those lines. But there was a lot of like, I love you and I will always love you and I think you're incredible, but I, I just, I don't, I don't think we are, we need, we are supposed to stay together. Or I don't think we should stay together. And I, at the time I was, I was like, I don't, that does not make sense. Right. Like that does not make any sense. And I didn't really get it until I was in a similar position where I was feeling immense love for somebody who I also just didn't wholeheartedly feel a compatibility in a relationship with moving forward, despite immense love. And, and that and person it, might be in the space that you were in when you were 24. Yes. I mean, with, with nuances different, like I was in an opposite position and they were in the position that I was once in. And it was, a, it was unbelievably illuminating. Fucking awful. Like, I, 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 hate, I hated both of those experiences. Right. <laughs> Didn't enjoy any moment of any of that. Like, really, some of, some of the worst emotions I've ever felt. But I also learned a lot from them, and there was a lot of context that I didn't have without having been on both sides of it. You said, like, it didn't make any sense. That didn't make any sense that you love me but you are walking away from this relationship. Like, how is that possible? And I think that speaks into this like larger, which you might've talked about in therapy, idea of like these two coexisting things. They don't have to make sense, but they can both be there. Like I can be like deeply sad and feel deeply free at the same time. Like think about how like with any change, there's a loss, but oftentimes change is good. And so there's these two things that they, they don't make sense. And I think something that, I've experienced in my own life and I see every day is we as human beings want everything to make sense. That's that's how we feel like almost like settled. But so much of the world just doesn't and that's like period. Like there's no even there's nothing else to be said to that. Like there's no way to make this make sense because it doesn't. But trying to make it make sense isn't going to make it go away. It makes sense in that you know humans going to human and I remember like, so at like 24, 25 years old, like that relationship has ended. I really am devastated. And I, I remember 
reading a birthday card that she had written me on my 23rd birthday. This this moment made it into a song. I have, I have a song called uh, Sad Corny Fuck. And in the last verse, the lyric is, uh, I keep your love notes in a drawer. I know you don't feel that way anymore. It just feels nice knowing you really used to. So I remember reading that. So I, I find this like 23rd birthday card that she wrote me. And I don't remember verbatim, but she says something along the lines of like, I love you and I can't wait to love you forever or something like that. And like reading that mm-hmm. post breakup, like there's the inclination to go like, you liar. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that would be inaccurate because she wholeheartedly meant it in that moment. You can heart, wholeheartedly love someone and feel as if you you would love them forever. And then you continue to live and you continue to grow and you have to reckon with the dis- a potential growing disparity of what you want to want and what you want, which is a shitty dissonance, extraordinarily mm-hmm. painful for everyone involved. Yeah. And then you reckon with like, how how much of a responsibility do I have to the feelings that I once fully felt and no longer do? Like, do I have to be like literally married glued to those for the rest of my life? Or am I allowed right. to change? Right. So I have two questions. I'm going to try to ask both of them at different uh-huh. times. How did you get to this place where you're like, oh, I was that person who maybe I've said, I, I want to love you for the rest of my life. And then I, and then, but I don't feel that way anymore. And now it feels like I have to choose between this thing that I said one time or like actual authenticity. Or lots of times. Or lots of times, yeah. A, a million uh-huh. times. Or uh-huh. authenticity of what's going on now because you're bringing up this hard point that we evolve and we change and the world change and, and stuff happens and we can't predict it and we're not in control of our feelings. Like if we were in control of our feelings, I would be a bajillionaire because I would just teach people how to do that. But mm-hmm. we can't do that and I'm not a bajillionaire. So how did you actually come to terms with, I, I have to choose this authentic part that this isn't actually where I am anymore? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is empathizing with how just fucking devastating that is for the other person. Yeah. Because it is truly so awful for someone that you really wholeheartedly love and who you haven't stopped intending to continue to love, Mm -hmm. to watch them kind of slip out of the emotions that you used to be two feet in together. Mm -hmm. So recognizing that there's a part of you that is feeling things that would hurt someone you love is is like a very like identity splitting experience because I think part of a relationship is the commitment to protecting the person you love from anything that would hurt them. So when you recognize there's a part of you that is threatening to hurt the person you love, my first instinct was to fucking kill it. Just to kill, like, like if yeah. like I would with anything that tried to hurt her, like anything, like my, I had very much internalized, like if any, if anything is going to hurt you, I'm going to hurt it first. And then the thing that that was growing to hurt her was inside of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I hated it, despised it, like neglected, despised it, tried to destroy it and couldn't. Mm-hmm. And then grappled with, okay, well, maybe like this will go away. Maybe I can ignore it. Maybe I, like maybe I can find a way to just deal with this in another way because I love this person I'm with and I... The hurting them seems like the worst thing in the world. 
because they are so worthy of love and so exceptional. And intellectually, I still think everything I always thought about them. And how could I possibly let myself hurt them? And then it doesn't go away. And that parts of you is growing. And then that part of you is like, you know, like when you hit something, they hit back. And then, you know, you're just in conflict with yourself. And then that takes you out of a relationship. And it just becomes a whole, a whole mess. Mm-hmm. You know, what's really cool is you sharing that and hearing that perspective. It's a perspective that I don't feel is amplified that often. I haven't heard it that often. And I hear in my office, and I've probably said these things, a lot of, well, if they knew at this point, why didn't they end it? If they were feeling this at this point, why didn't that? And I like this this description that you're giving us where it's like, well, because I didn't want to. I didn't, I didn't want that voice to be a real voice. So yeah. I wasn't going to jump ship the, the first time it started speaking to me. I was trying to change it. And I couldn't yeah. because, again, I'm not in, I can't control my feelings. So I think that's really cool. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year. And what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. 
she would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The other question I had is for you, specifically after the first relationship, how did you find, I don't know what the right word is, but almost like the like courage. How do you find the courage to like jump back in something when you've felt the like deepest pain and you know what a relationship can lead to? Because you'll hear that all day long. I've definitely yeah, said I this. Mean, of, I, I don't I, ever want to feel like this again. So I'm just never going to date anybody again. Yeah. I met someone miraculous. Mm. I just met someone who was entirely impossible to not love. Yeah. It was unavoidable in every way. The answer, I don't think it's more complicated than yeah. that. Like I, I didn't necessarily think that I, you know, there's about a year and a half between those relationships and sure, like I had the fear of that happening again, but there was just such a, a doubtlessness about the beginning. You know, mm -hmm. there was such a, you know, you meet someone, you feel like every imaginable you know, certainty in the, in the beginnings and excitement of something. And it just becomes impossible to not love them. Mm -hmm. I freaking love that you said that I need to like play this in sessions as well, because it's again, one of those tangible things we want, right? Like I want a roadmap to heartbreak. So I want to know like, how long am I going to feel this way? And will, when will I know when I'm ready to date again? And I think Part of this is I, a lot of people think that therapists like have these like hard and fast rules and we don't because everybody's different. And so you saying like, oh, actually, I was able to do that because I met somebody and I just couldn't avoid the feelings I was having. Like I met somebody who who actually made me feel like it was safe. I met some like that's how it happened. I didn't do a workbook. I didn't wait a certain amount of time specifically. I didn't put rules on things. I just kind of let myself feel. Yeah. I mean, there were there were a couple things that I would say during that period of my life really helped me get to a place where I was ready to meet someone yeah. at, like stunningly exceptional and then dive into it. Uh, I would say that the two things I did that I, I really am grateful to that version of myself for doing was I started channeling my romantic energy and my desire for intimacy into my communities rather than dating. So like whenever I like felt that urge for, you know, I, I, I'm craving intimacy, you know, am I going to go on a dating app? Am I going to like go on a first date with a stranger? Or am I going to try and foster more intimate relationships with my friends? And it was the best thing I did in that year of my life was every time I felt that I would just reach out to, I would reach out to either my best friends or friends that I had close relationships with and wanted to be closer with. And my community grew really meaningfully during that year and a half, like 2018, 2019. And going into that relationship, now I had this community. So, and it's still my community. So I'm really grateful for, for that energy. And it's honestly the place I'm in now. And the other thing that I think helped for me personally was getting a little bit more comfortable with leaving space. What do you mean by leaving space? I think love is one of the best feelings in the world. So for most people, you would rather have the wrong version of it than none of it. But as long as you're occupying the part of you that has the capacity to love with a version of love that isn't what you want, there isn't actually the space for it to be filled by the version that you do. And 
holding on to the idea that what was going to make me happy was something that I didn't know anything about yet. Like it wasn't an answer that I had at my fingertips. Like it wasn't actually in my life. The thing that was going to make me happy, the thing that I was going to love wasn't something that I could come up with. It wasn't something that I had any semblance of or any hints on. Like that that reminder for myself was useful. And then just reminding myself that like, yes, there's a space there and that space can be uncomfortable. The space that like wants to love someone, that wants to hold someone. But if I fill it, then there isn't room for the thing that's supposed to be there. If I f- keep filling it with the wrong thing. Yes, that is beautiful. And what you're also speaking to is, and maybe I'm wrong, that even in that space, your life can still be good. Like even when you're living yeah. in that uncomfortable space, life can still be good. Of course. Emptiness is just openness from the right angle. Mm. And reminding myself of that, I think is one of the best things I did in that version of heartbreak. Yeah. Because it, it can feel like emptiness, especially like yeah. when there's someone who who is there for you, you know, for a long period of time, who is that intimate connection, and then they're not there anymore. Like it can feel like emptiness, but with the right perspective, it is also an openness. It's an openness for that space to be filled by new things that you aren't able to come up with for yourself, but will show up. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. showing up to a songwriting session with, you know, someone that you really admire and then writing a song that changes your life and meeting someone who changes your life. You know, like you don't mm-hmm. come up with those things. It's just kind of. You can't force happens. that. Yeah. No. Yeah. All right, y'all. I know you're probably on the edge of your seat because maybe we just got into talking about something that you're like, give me more of this. I want to hear more. Well, good news. There's going to be more. And it's coming next week. This is a two-part episode with JP Sachs. So if you have not already subscribed or followed this podcast, go ahead and do that now so you won't miss next week's episode. I will be back with him next Monday. So go ahead and do that. And in the meantime, I hope you guys have the days that you need to have. And I will talk to you soon. Hello from Wonder Media Network. I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death. We all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.